Heavenly Father, we we uh, we thank you for this opportunity to delve into this lesson. Um, justification, as Luther said, is um, the foundation on which the church stands or falls. And so we pray that uh, we would uh, look into this subject, into this doctrine, with reverence and with anticipation. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Have a seat, guys. So, uh, point number one um, is that justification is a verdict. Um, partially what I wanted um, actually one of the main reasons why I wanted to look at the Ordo Salutis is because um, I remember asking in multiple membership classes what is uh, justification and I think that um, Actually, Tracy, you were in one of them, right? Justification, like there is this uh, vagueness or misunderstanding about what it is. And so uh, I really wanted to get into this because if you don't understand justification, you don't understand the gospel. Everything rests on this. And so justification is a verdict, right? And um, what I mean by verdict is I'm, I'm talking about in a legal sense. So imagine that you're a defendant in court, right? And you're being tried for murder. And um, your attorney, you know, presents your defense. The prosecution presents their case, and at the end, right, you receive a verdict. Right, you're either guilty or innocent. Right, and so um, it's a legal declaration. Um, and what is exactly the the decl- what is exactly being determined is a legal declaration of righteousness. What do I mean by uh, righteousness? Yeah. <coughs> Give me just like, <coughs> you know, a very quick, casual, quick and easy definition of righteousness. Without sin? Yes. Good. So that's the negative. What's the positive? Holy? Yes. Right, so when we talk about righteousness, we're talking about um, um, moral goodness, right? Holiness. Okay? Um, And I think for a lot of secular people, you know, they're like, okay, uh, that doesn't really apply to me, or it doesn't have a lot of relevance or resonance with me, uh, because I don't care about righteousness, right? Um, so let me expand this definition so that um, it does speak to everybody. Uh, we, when we talk about righteousness, we're not just talking about moral goodness or holiness, but we're also talking about um, goodness in a very expansive sense, um, a feeling of, of worth and accomplishment. So let me, let me expand this definition and write worth. Um, Achievement. Okay? So the illustration I have here is Harold Abrams in Chariots of Fire. I don't know if you've seen this movie. A very famous illustration pastors love to use. Uh, Harold Abrams, right before uh, the 1924 Paris Olympics, he's about to run the 100-meter dash, which is the premier event of the Olympics, right? He's been training for this all his life, and he's being massaged by his coach right before the event. And he's filled with anxiety. He tells his coach this famous line. He says, I have 10 seconds. 
to justify my whole existence. I think that's a great quote. What is he saying? He's saying in those 10 seconds, um, I'm going to receive, at the end of the race, I'm going to receive a verdict. Either I'm going to medal, I'm going to get a gold, and everyone will applaud me, and everyone will say you're worthy, or I'll be a loser, right? I'll fall flat on my face, and, and my whole life will be worthless. So that's what uh, a justification is about, is this sense of a verdict. And uh, I don't know if you received uh, my email on Friday. Um, I think all of us have this looming sense of dread of some verdict that we're waiting for, some word from the outside, because you can't do it to yourself. You can't look in the mirror and say, you know, you devilishly handsome man, you, you know, you accomplished, smart, competent person. Um, you can't do that. We kind of giggle and laugh because if someone tries to do that, it doesn't work. It doesn't stick. First of all, you feel ridiculous, but it just doesn't stick. But if someone who knows you looks at you, right, if Catherine, who's been dating David for a while, and she says to David, um, you are this kind, wise, accomplished person. David feels really good, right? You feel awesome. It's the greatest feeling on earth. That is what we're all looking for. We're looking for this word on the outside to tell us that we're worthy, that we're good. Does that make sense? Um, and so, uh, uh, so that's... The doctrine of justification is a verdict, it's a declaration. What is our justification based on? So let's go back to the trial illustration. Um, So let me ask Tracy. In a criminal trial, you are the defendant. You are accused of murder. Um, What is your verdict going to be based on? My alibi. <laughs> the, the evidence, right? The evidence. We have a videotape of you shooting the the gun, Tracy. You're guilty, right? Um, or we have DNA evidence exculpating you, right? So, so it's based on evidence, right? Like, what is Harold Abrams' justification going to be based on? His what? Performance, right? So it's based on evidence and performance. Um, and if that were the case, then we're doomed. We're doomed. Because um, if, I mean, who knows us best? God knows us. God doesn't just look at our outside behavior. He knows our inner hearts. He knows our thoughts. He knows our motives. And when he looks at us thoroughly, and, and, and then he renders judgment, he renders his verdict, what will he say? Are we righteous? The answer is no. The good news of the gospel is, and is point number two here, is that it is not based on our moral performance. Okay? So let me go back to the, to the trial illustration, right? Imagine that Tracy, um, um, is guilty. We have video evidence, surveillance evidence of her firing the weapon. Um, but then the, at the end of the trial, the judge says, Tracy, you're, you're innocent. Right? So that's kind of, that's the good news of the gospel. So let's read Romans 3, which is uh, uh, maybe the most significant verse on justification. Can I have uh, David unread that for us? I'm going to interrupt you, so be prepared. Okay. Uh, for by works of the law... Stop no. right there. Uh, <laughs> uh, this um, is an incredibly important expression. Huge wars have been fought over it. Works of the law. Um, part of what makes reading Paul so difficult is he speaks 
in almost like abbreviated sense. Like he doesn't fully flesh out everything because then his writing would be so cumbersome, right? Um, so what do we mean by works of the law? Um, let me throw it out to all of you. What do we? Mean, what does Paul mean by by works of the law? Well, you can read the whole thing. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. So what do we mean by works of the law? Don't be embarrassed if you if you throw a stab and it's completely off the mark. I will, I will, give, I will commend you for the courage. All right, let me pick on someone. Let me pick on Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> good um, deeds. Huh? Good deeds. Yes, thank you. So, by works of the law, we're talking about obedience to the moral law, right? We can also talk about it as moral performance, right? Okay, so listen, listen to what Paul says. By the way, <laughs> other people have a different definition, and that completely changes our understanding of justification. But I won't delve into that controversy. Um, so listen to what Paul says. David, on, let me... I might interrupt you again. Uh, I don't know. Let me start over. Yeah. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Okay, so let me start uh, right there. Um, so that's the other expression that uh, Paul speaks in abbreviated sense, the righteousness of God, right? Okay, so by righteousness of, of God, what I mean is um, God's verdict of righteousness, okay? Righteous. Something missing. Righteousness. Yes? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, uh, keep reading verse 21 again. Uh, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Okay, there you go. Uh, David, um, since you read it, what is that saying basically? Give it to me in very simple language. Uh, what is it saying about justification? Our verdict from God. It's not based on what, and what is it based on? Not based on performance, but in faith. Yes. Right? So, when you have faith in Christ, right, it says faith in Jesus Christ, and we're going to talk about exactly how faith is an instrument through which we receive justification, but when you have faith in Christ, you receive this verdict that all of us need. And it's not based on your moral performance. Not, it's not based on works of the law, but it's based on your faith in Christ. Okay? Or, or you receive it through faith in Christ. We'll talk about what that means. And therefore, next point, we are justified sinners. I hope you realize the weirdness and the craziness of that. This is the gospel. This is the distinctiveness of Christianity, is that we are justified sinners. Why is this combination so crazy? Kaylin. Because it's like saying you're, going back to the murder trial, you're like an innocent murderer. Yes! Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's what this is saying. You're an innocent murderer. 
Okay? And Martin Luther has this great expression. I love it. He says, we are simul justus et peccator, um, which was one of the rallying cries of the Reformation. We are simultaneously justified and sinful. We are, in actuality, a criminal, but, but in a legal sense, in the legal declaration, we are righteous and holy. That's the gospel. Okay? And so... Uh, 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 Jesus speaks about this, Luke 18. Where are we? Melissa, can I have you read this parable? Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and uh, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Okay, uh, let me just interrupt you there. So, do you understand what the Pharisee is doing, right? The Pharisee is looking for <clears throat> verdict. He is looking for God's declaration that he is a good man. And he's basing his justification on works of the law, right? So he goes through the litany of his evidence, right? Like a good defense attorney, he lays it all out. And he lays out his record, right? He does all of these good things. He tithes, he fasts, you know, he's not an adulterer, he's not a tax collector, which is basically a criminal. But then, read verse 13. So basically, uh, uh, well, anyways, uh, where are we? Most of, yeah, read verse 13 now. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. I hope you can understand the bombshell that this must have been to the original hearers. Because our heart's instinct is that our justification is based on our performance. And so Jesus tells the story of these two people, one who is clearly less righteous than the other, one who is a, who is a known criminal, and then Jesus says, this man received God's verdict of righteousness. Why? Because... This man did not rely on his own performance, but what does he do? He cries out to mercy for God. Right? Uh, Galatians 2.16. Kay, can you read that? That's the next box. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law. <laughs> there it is again, right? You receive the verdict that you are worthy, that you are righteous, that you are acceptable, not based on your performance. Not based on your adherence and obedience to the law. That's what Paul's saying. And then, but? But through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Uh, I'm done with the lesson. Everything else is just <laughs> filling out the details. Any questions so far before we go on to filling out the details? Is this clear now? So everyone understands what justification is, right? Um, all right, so let's go on to the third point. Justification is double imputation. This is exciting. I, you got, I mean, you got to learn some heavy theology here. Double imputation. Um, next time somebody says, what is justification? You can say it's double imputation. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, so what is impute? Impute is to credit or to attribute. It's actually an accounting term. If you look at other translations, um, it's the word credit. So let me give you an illustration. Um, so let's say there's an account ledger, right? So this is account A and this is account B, okay? And um, let's say account A has $100, 
okay? Um, and account B has zero dollars, right? Um, so to impute, hey, welcome. Oh, here's handouts. To impute means to credit the hundred dollars to account B. Does that make sense? Now, the difference between a, 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 the, the distinctiveness about an impute is that it is merely a declaration. It's merely an act. It is not the person actually doing it. Person B did not earn the hundred dollars, but you, let's say you're a dishonest accountant. You're like, hey, hey, hey. So you just simply punch into the key, into the, into the keyboard, the hundred dollars goes to account B. That's what impute means. It means to credit or to consider or to attribute. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, now, we typically think of the gospel, that's the next bold, as only single imputation. Right? So this is the way we think about it, right? This is the way we, tip, this is the way I, tip, I have always heard the gospel, is um, this is you, and then you owe a million dollars. Okay? And this is Christ. And so your debt is imputed to Christ, right? Your <coughs> sins, your record of guilt is put on Christ, and on the cross he pays the penalty. Um, but if that is the case, I hope you realize, so that's single imputation, that's not enough, right? Let me give you an illustration. Let's suppose uh, you're a criminal in prison, and the governor decides to pardon your, 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 your record, your criminal record. And so he says, okay, uh, what, what is that called when you're, um, what's that legal term? I'm like blanking out here. Um, Acquittal. Acquittal? No, not acquittal. is what happens in court. Amnesty? Um, huh? Is it amnesty? No, not amnesty. Part, yeah, it's a more fancy word than par- pardon. <laughs> Any case, you're pardoned, right? <laughs> you're pardoned, and... Okay, so the criminal's like, I'm out of jail. Is the criminal home free? Is the criminal, like, okay now? No, he's out of prison, that's true, but what does a criminal have to do now? He still has to go and live in society. Yes! He still has to make it, right? He still has to go get a job. He has to keep his nose clean. He has to be a good citizen, right? And so the governor's pardon is not enough. Single imputation is not enough. It doesn't bring us home. Um, If single imputation is all there is, then all that does is put us back into the Garden of Eden, right? We're, We're without guilt, but we're now faced with the long climb to righteousness, right? And if single imputation is all there is, um, then why did Jesus have to... Oh, and, and, and let me just uh, uh, say something here. Um, I hear this all the time. And every time I hear it, I'm like, like waves of discomfort and unhappiness wash over me. People say the gospel is a second chance. And I think when people say the gospel is a second chance... You know, it's, it's, it's hard to judge completely based on that expression, but I think they're referring to single imputation because what they're saying is, okay, the debt's been paid. The debt's been wiped out. Christ has paid for it. Now go and earn a million bucks on your own. Right? You have a second chance. You messed up. Now you got a second shot at life. I don't want a second shot at life. I don't want a second chance because then we're doomed. We're doomed, okay? So the gospel is what? Double imputation, okay? So the gospel is this. 
Your million bucks is imputed to Christ. Christ has a million bucks. I mean, you're, you're dead of a million bucks. And Christ's million bucks is credited on your account. So going back to the governor pardon illustration, not only does the governor pardon you, but then you're like, it's almost like, a, what's, that, what's that thing where like um, you put in a protective services or something? You're given a whole new identity. You get, a, you get a driver's license. You get the Medal of Honor. You're a millionaire. And you're like, you know, everywhere you go, there's parades thrown about, thrown for you. Everyone's like throwing ticker tape, you know, and, and everyone's praising you. That is justification. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. But regardless of like, you know, like you can be found a new person, right? Like if you yourself haven't changed, like then you could still be. Yes, we're still here yeah. then. Right? So you're actually a sinner. Yeah. Right? Your actual life is you're still a low life criminal. But then you receive this record of a war hero. You have, you have the Met- Congressional Medal of Honor. You're a millionaire. And everywhere you go, you're acclaimed and praised. And doors are open to you. You get the best seat at the restaurant. That's what's going on. So justification has nothing to do with who you actually are in yourself, in your inner being. You are a criminal. But you justification is merely crediting. It's merely a legal <coughs> declaration. Do you have a follow-up question? No, I mean, it makes sense, but I guess it's like if the individual doesn't take that verdict and apply it to their life, then it's more like it means nothing, right? Because like, I could be justified and found like like, um, like, like righteous in Christ, but then it's like, okay, cool, I have this righteousness. It's like it's like cheap grace then, right? Because then if I just go out and continue living in like, mm-hmm. like I'm declared an innocent murderer, but then I continue murdering mm-hmm. or something, right? Yes, we'll get there. So there are implications to receiving this verdict. Right, but I don't want to race it to implications right away because I want us to s- to sit for a long, long, long time on this legal verdict. Um, some people call this what, what's called legal fiction. Um, it's not actually true, but it's just said to be true. It's just declared to be true. Like, I mean, let me give an, another example. Um, let's say um, there's a school, elementary school, is completely failing. The teachers hate the students. The principal smokes pot. Uh, kids run wild. And so the state investigator <laughs> comes and he examines the school and it deserves an F. The school should be shut down. But let's say the principal passes the state inspector $10,000 a bribe. Say that the school is awesome. And so the inspector says, okay, the school is awesome. It deserves an A. Okay? That declaration of A is what we're talking about, justification. It isn't actually true. It's just a verdict. And the verdict is rendered by the judge, which is God in this case. Does that make sense? And until you feel there's something wrong there, holy smokes, what's going on? Until you feel that, you don't understand the gospel. It has nothing to do, that verdict has nothing to do with your performance. It has nothing to do with who you are. You in no way merited it. You in no way deserve it. It is completely by, well, in the, in the school case, by corruption and, yeah. and, and, and lies. But in the gospel's case, it's completely because of mercy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. We'll get to your question. You anticipate. You have to flip the page over. But don't flip it yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the gospel's double <laughs> imputation, right? If, and, and, and I think 
when we understand double imputation, it make everything makes so much more sense. Because if it was just our debt being attributed to Christ, why didn't Jesus just come and immediately die, right? And I remember I remember asking that as this punk kid, and uh, the teacher told me, well, Jesus, uh, I mean, what was the whole point of Jesus' ministry, right, and life? 30, he died around thirty-three. Why did he? I mean, why not just immediately go to the cross? Well, because Jesus had to teach us. He had to instruct us. That's true. But that's not the answer. The answer is because Jesus was earning our million bucks. Jesus was living a righteous, holy life. Every single moment, his life was filled with compassion, with the love and the glory of God. In every moment, he did what was perfectly right. And then that record is attributed to us, credited to us, right? So um, let me read 2 Corinthians 5.21. Actually, I'll have Harry read it. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Okay, so the first part of that is <coughs> our debt attributed to Christ, right? Christ, who had no sin, was made a sin, right? He was credited with our sin, and then go on. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that when we believe in him, right, when we are in him, in fact, united to him, we receive his righteous record. That's double imputation. Somebody asks you, what is justification? Double imputation. Where similar use this at peccator. <laughs> Let me give you an illustration. Gattaca, I think I've given this illustration many times before. But I love I did you guys by the way know that the word Gattaca comes from you guys do you guys know? Yes! How do you know this? <laughs> what was it? It is, right? Like the DNA sequence is consists of G T G A T C, right? Mm-hmm. They just kinda like put it together as a word. So it's basically a, a nonsense word. In any case, Gattaca, <laughs> as all good sci-fi, is talks about a world in the future in which it's dark. <laughs> because everything is judged by your DNA, right? And so there's two, there's these two characters. One is played by Ethan Hawk. Uh Ethan Hawk, uh his parents decide to have uh, a child a natural way. <laughs> So, basically, he's just a normal kid. And then um, his brother, I mean, and then that basically excludes him from so many jobs because in the future, it doesn't matter about your performance. It matters only about your DNA record, right? Um, and then so they, and they decide, oh, it closes all these doors. So guess what Ethan Hawke becomes? He's only qualified to become a janitor. But his dream is to become an astronaut. So he works as a janitor, at the space station, and that's the closest he can get to space travel, right? And then he meets this other character named Jude Law. Jude Law has, like, the top 1%, 1%, 1% of all DNA records. He has, like, these super elite DNA record, but he suffers some sort of crippling injury, so he can do nothing with his life. And so what they do is they do an exchange. Um, Jude Law will give him his DNA record, and if you've seen the movie, he, like, scrapes off skin, he gives him hair samples, he gives him urine samples, and, the, and so... Uh, he goes, Ethan Hawke goes into the test, and then basically the test is, give me some of your urine. So he goes into this closet, he pees, gives them the cup, they test the DNA, and then the, and then the interviewer says, you're in. And Ethan Hawke's like incredulous, he's like, that's it? He's like, yeah, you're in. It has nothing to do with performance, it has everything to do with the DNA evidence. I, and I love that, because that is a perfect picture of double imputation, or at least Christ's righteousness being credited to us. That's why Jesus had to live the life he lived for our for for um for the record. Number four, what is the role of faith? Uh, Harry covered this. This is very good. Um, faith uh, is not some sort of merit that we perform, and then God gives us this verdict. But rather, faith is the fitting instrument 
because faith is the empty hand that receives this verdict, this free gift, right? So if you could think of it as this, um, here's... Christ's righteousness, right? Okay, so here's Christ's righteousness, and then here's you. Okay? How does it come to you? There's There's this channel, and it flows through this channel, and this channel is faith. Okay? In theological terms, it's called the instrument. It's the instrument through which we receive this righteousness. But it is not, faith is not the grounds or the basis of our justification. What is the ground of our justification? Here's a little bit of logical... Uh, I'm like, look, it's like my eye of Sauron. Dan! <laughs> Faith is the instrument, not the grounds of our justification. What is the grounds of our justification? Christ yes! Not just Christ dying, his life and death, right? Yes. So it's Christ. He is... And his resurrection. I haven't even gotten to that. Yes. <laughs> um, so it's Christ, which is our grounds, not faith. Does that make sense? I think a lot of people have a little bit of a confusion here. They think that faith is why God justifies us. It's not. It's how we receive justification. Does that make sense? And, and last week we saw faith is, even faith itself is a gift. So it's through and through, not at all to our credit or merit. Um, let me just read uh, Romans 4 well not me uh, where are we uh, but Melissa can I have you read Romans 4 it's the very bottom passage Rachel, yeah. oh, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> um, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to his flesh for if Abraham was justified by works he has something to boast about but not before God for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Yeah, where, where in that verse do you see the word imputation? Where do we get the word imputation? Quick quiz. Counted. counted. Yes, counted. Right? In other translations, it's credited. So Abraham was imputed with righteousness. He was given this verdict um, merely because he believed. Now, a lot of times... You'll hear people say, what is justification? Justification is when you are made righteous. Right? Um, That's incorrect. It's you're declared righteous. I even think declared is a little vague for a lot of people. That's why I like to use the word verdict, because it's super clear then. But what's the problem with saying you're made righteous? By the way, just in case you don't know, that's wrong. But what's the problem with saying you're made righteous? Yes. What's the, does that mean you're born righteous? Uh, well, you know, there's a difference between born and made, right? You're made when you're born, right? Huh? Isn't that when you're made? Oh, when you're made, yeah. Well, you know, you could be also made midlife, right? You know, I made him a good baseball player smacking him around there's like a implication of just like God magically uh, like oh you're righteous well I mean I I think the magical aspect is not the problem I mean because people can say verdict is a magical too right so So, so we're not righteous so we can't be made righteous we're just uh, in a sense uh, 
um, the verdict is like we're, we're covered in the righteousness. We're not ourselves made right. Yes. Okay, so this is this is what I'm trying to get at. The word made implies who you are. Right? You, I mean, if I say, um, Kate is currently a terrible bowler, but I will make him a good bowler. And I train him. I show him all my techniques and maneuvers. At the end, he will be a good bowler. But that's because he is a good bowler, right? To be made is a process through which he himself will become a good bowler. Is justification where you're made righteous? No. It is where you are declared righteous. So I go to K, he's a horrible bowler, and I say, I declare you a good bowler. <laughs> I am the bowling association president. You are the world's greatest bowler. <laughs> That's what justification is. Does that make sense? Okay. So that leads me to the last point, point number five. Um, how does this relate to our dispute with Roman Catholicism? This is the material break. Why the Reformation happened. There's a lot of differences between Protestantism and Catholicism. The uh, role of the Pope, uh, uh, Mary, um, um, the role of saints, um, uh, authority, all of these things. But this is, this is the breaking point. This is the reason why Luther, Calvin broke with the Catholic Church, is justification. Because in the Catholic understanding, well, let me, let me, let me see, let me throw it up. Does anyone know what the Catholic understanding is without looking at it? They believe in justification, too. It is a verdict. They believe it is a verdict, too. So what is the difference? <clears throat> How do we receive this verdict in, 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 in Catholic theology? Don't you have to be like, confirmed or something like that? Yeah, it's, you guys are getting closer. So you do believe in faith. You do have to have faith, right? Yeah, but you have to receive confirmation, right? Yeah, so it's sacramental. You're right. Are you familiar with Catholicism? Um, I have Catholic friends. You have Catholic friends? Okay. So, in the Catholic understanding, you receive this verdict not only through faith, right, as an instrument. Um, well, they wouldn't, even, they wouldn't even say this, but faith jumpstarts you, right? It infuses grace. You receive this grace, and then you have to receive the sacrament, you have to receive baptism and, and uh, um, uh, communion, but also you have to actually obey. So, in a very crude sense, it's faith plus works. And then you're justified. Justification happens at some point in your life, if not the end of your life, after which you have actually become righteous. Does that make sense? So, in the Catholic sense, it's not a legal fiction. It's not a, um, it's not a declaration in which the reality is not there. It's a declaration upon which the evidence is there. In other words, there has to be the evidence. The evidence has to be there that you are actually righteous. Let me, I know this is going to be a little bit confusing. Let me try to flesh it out. Uh, let me, uh, here's the ca uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church. In case you think I'm making this up, I have the actual Catechism. This is issued by the Vatican. Okay, so this is the authoritative teaching of the Catholic Church. If you look at point uh, one, uh, 1990, this is how they define justification. Justification is not only the remission of sins, right, which is the pardoning or canceling of sins, but also the sanctification and renewal of the inner man. Right? Justification detaches man from sin, which contradicts the love of God and purifies his heart purifies his heart of sin. What is the Catholic Church basically saying? 
our verdict is based on? Harry. Uh, us and what we do in, in our lives. Yes. The renewal of our... Renewal yeah. of the inner man, right? So this, this uh, declaration doesn't come until you actually have real hairy righteousness. I mean, you actually have to do works of righteousness. You actually have to believe. And this is where the Protestant uh, Protestantism breaks. Because Protestantism says no. If that's the case, then the verdict is based on merit to some degree. Grace plus merit, but merit nevertheless. And therefore, it's not by grace alone. It's not by faith alone. Does that make sense? Um, <coughs> the Catholic Church would cite James chapter 2. I was going to read the whole passage, but uh, for the sake of time, we don't have the time. But James chapter 2 is always cited as the counter-argument. Right? And so, uh, uh, let me read it as fast as I can. Please try to follow along. Verse 14. What good, is it, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Right? Because the, Pro- uh, the Protestants is what? Let me just... Let me just put it like that. It's um, faith alone, right? And you're justified. Right? So this is the Protestant... Understanding faith alone, Catholic understanding is faith plus works, and you're justified. So they cite James chapter two as why this is wrong. Okay, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, "Go in peace, be warm and be warmed and filled," without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Let me just say this as an aside regarding mercy ministry. <laughs> We cannot ever say to somebody, I hope you feel good, and we, we, if we don't actually help them, then it's, it's meaningless. But in any case, verse 17, so also, faith by itself, it, if it does not have works, is dead. But if someone will say, I have faith, you have works. Are you, I mean, sorry, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without, apart from your works, Now I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father, listen, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Right? Let me read that again. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was that also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. All right. So what do we do with this passage? Oh, it's too late. I think I'll just end here. <laughs> uh, um, all right. So what's the answer? Uh, the answer is that James is talking about two kinds of faith. Okay, um, and you can see that when he, when he, in verse eighteen, second paragraph top, he says, "Someone will say, you have faith, I have works.' Right? So, so James is is talking about someone who has the slogan, faith alone. Okay, this is not the Protestant Reformation. This is the early church, and there are people going around saying, all you need is faith. Now I can live a party lifestyle. I can sleep with prostitutes. I can get drunk." I, I can cheat and steal and lie. I can do whatever I want because now I'm saved. I have faith. And so James is confronting that 
that slogan and that party and saying, you're completely wrong. And he says that, uh, verse 17, last uh, verse in the first paragraph, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so he's talking about dead faith versus true faith. Okay? And dead faith says this, faith alone, in the original context. Does that make sense? And so he's saying, well, that's not faith. Right? True faith, living faith, will always produce fruit. So there's a, um, an expression that Luther has, we're saved by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. Right? That's awesome! There it is, there it is. that's the answer, right? We're saved by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. So true, living, gospel faith will always produce, as David Um pointed out, will always produce a transformed life, a changed life. If that changed life... So if you say, aha, I have faith, I'm okay now, right? People say, ticket to heaven. I have a ticket to heaven. Anyone who says, I have a ticket to heaven, I'm like, you don't understand the gospel. (laughs) Um, uh, Now I can just do anything I want. That's not what... um, That's not true gospel faith. And so, um, what do we take of this expression, um, a person is justified by works, right? Verse 21. Um, Okay, that's a little bit trickier. And uh, uh, every seminary class will spend a lot of time trying to explain this. Uh, This is my explanation. Paul is speaking in abbreviated form again. This is what makes reading Paul, I think, really tricky. Um, He always speaks in shorthand. This is not Paul, this is James. This is what makes reading the epistles difficult. Um, James is saying, you're justified and evidenced by works. So there's the word evidence there. Um, so uh, uh, a true faith will always be evidenced by works, but the works itself has nothing to do with justification. Does that make sense? I don't know if, that, if, if, if I'm making myself clear. Right? The works follows faith, but it is not part of the equation. Why does God say you are worthy and acceptable and righteous? It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with what Christ did for us. Now that Christ has died for us and and now that His Spirit is in us, we will have good works. But that is showing the evidence of. It is flowing out of faith, but it is not the basis, the grounds upon which we are justified. This is the difference between Catholicism and Protestantism. And for this reason... Let me say that the Catholic theology, when it comes to their doctrine of justification, they do not have the gospel. Because that is an assault on the very heart, on the very root foundation of the gospel, which is that we are saved by Christ alone, not by anything in us. Does that make sense? So, uh, Ephesians 2.8.9, I think this settles the matter. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. What does gift imply? That you didn't earn it. Right? You can't earn a gift. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, works will always manifest itself in a saved person, but you are not saved because of your works. You're not justified because of your works. All right. I did that in five minutes. That was like amazing. I, I, rem- I distinctly remember James chapter 2 being three weeks worth of discussion in my seminary class. Um, any questions or comments or thoughts? Wait, so how can Catholicism exist then if there's something like... if they? If how can Catholicism <laughs> exist? That is a wonderful question. So deep. 
<laughs> no, but I'm just saying, like, because if their basis is on James 2, 14 and 26 with their catechism, and then mm-hmm. in the Bible it says in Ephesians 2, 89, like, something to counter it, like, what is their basis? Then? You know, I'm not familiar with how the Catholics would respond to a passage like Ephesians 2, 8, 9, or Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, or Romans 3, 20 to 22. Um... But, I mean, I am a little bit familiar with... So, basically, basically, to say it in a very cynical way, Protestants explain away James 2 using Ephesians 2, 8, 9, uh, Romans and Galatians. And Catholics explain away Romans, Ephesians, and Galatians with James chapter 2. So, it's sort of like, which is the primary teaching... And which is sort of like modifying or correcting the teaching. The Protestant view says um, Paul is first. The teaching Galatians is first. And then James is coming back after Paul's teaching and saying, there's this people who misunderstand Paul and say, aha, I have faith alone. Party, let's go. And so James is saying, no, 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 that's dead faith. And the Catholics say, no, 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 this is first. James is saying you cannot be... Uh, 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 justified without works, and then Paul later goes on and softens and modifies that. So, I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It depends on what you think is foundation. Like interpretation, right? So it's kind of subjective then? <laughs> <laughs> no, it is not subjective. So, the Protestant uh, understanding of Scripture is that Scripture interprets Scripture. So, Scripture is a complex web, um, and when you read the whole thing together, it doesn't contradict, it explains each other. <coughs> and so, you have to study the whole Bible as a whole. Actually, I come across this all the time. I was reading the other day um, an article about uh, why a person became an atheist. Someone, uh, she, used to become a, she used to be a pastor in the church. And she became an atheist because she said the Bible contradicts itself. And she cited a contradiction. And so I think this, actually, this argument is in play all the time. Which is the Bible is this is this hodgepodge of texts that contradict each other. Who knows what's going on? It's all subjective, sort of like you choose what you want to believe, and therefore the whole thing is uh, non-authoritative. And so I do want to spend like an entire lesson on that idea, uh, which is not true. Um, things are in tension. Things are in paradox. But if you understand it or study it, it's it's a whole, it's a beautiful thing, right? I mean, let me just give you a quick example. Jesus says, uh, to live is Christ to die is gain. Wait a minute. How can you both benefit when you live and die? It's, it's right? One is the negation of the other. And so, you have to think it through. The, 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 uh, the Bible is always in paradox. Anyways, I don't know if that was like, way too much of an answer. Well, to add to that, I mean, the, what it also comes into play is for the Catholics, the Bible is a source of truth, but it's not the source. They, oh, that's uh, a good point. The, uh, the the Pope and the um, the Vatican Council they will say things that are uh, on par with what the Bible says in terms of authority. So they also have another set of um, documents that uh, help them interpret. Yeah, the tradition, right? right. <laughs> so because they have dual sources of authority, they would say, "Well, you Protestants citing Ephesians two eight nine is not enough because <clears throat> we have tradition, and the tradition of the Catholic Church has always taught that you're not justified by faith alone, but." Through a life of obedience. Yeah, as Protestants, we're sola scriptura, so we say scripture yeah. alone is our source. Yeah. 
Yes. Catholics. Catholics will say that just leads to <clears throat> subjectivism yeah. and individualism. Mm-hmm. Partially correct, but that's a whole other discussion. Yes, that's good points. I just have a comment um, on this topic. I love this topic. It's oh, good. I want to talk about my heart. If you are it's a like, Christian, you will love this. Yeah, my heart is bursting <laughs> right now. Seriously, it's racing so because this is what transformed me and mm-hmm. continues to transform me. And mm-hmm. even practically, day to day, the world is trying to find me and tell me things. I get insecure about you know everything. And going back to this, that God declares this over me is what I just what I have to preach to myself every single day. And just mm-hmm. it rocks your world when you. It and just you know, let yourself just be saturated by this truth. It's unbelievable, and it just, it shines God's grace to us. Like it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. I love what you say. It, it still resonates with me because I think you know there are days where you just feel so down on yourself because you feel so disappointed by who you are, what you've done. I beat myself up all the time, and then if you just remember that God, in God's eyes, you are acceptable, you are worthy, you are beautiful, you, you you are loved, not based on your record. It fills you with incredible confidence and assurance, and and it, it, it helps you to go out there and yeah. face the world. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Any other last comments or questions? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this doctrine of justification, that we are justified through faith um, only for the sake of what Christ has done on our behalf. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you love us in this way, that you've rescued us um, by grace alone. I pray that this teaching would not just be this dry academic exercise, but that it would sit in our hearts, it would resonate with our hearts, and uh, as David Um implored us, that it would transform our lives, that we would live lives worthy of the gospel, in line with the gospel. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Chairs are on the table.